0: the end thank you very much Susan for that um, opening and for helping everybody to join today Um, and I'd like to just echo Susan's very warm welcome to the 440 450 people um, on this call here today from quite literally all over the world and as Susan said um, really all coming with their own stories their own particular circumstances A very warm welcome to each and every one of you. It's a real privilege to have a chance to have been part of these um, talks the last few weeks and a particular privilege to have this evening with you to explore um, a theme of how we navigate our way through this quite extraordinary time. And that's what I would like to spend the next little while speaking about, but also leading um, three different practices on that theme. But I'd like to start if I may with um, a story and um, it's a story about my family who are actually on the call somewhere here Um, and it dates to about seven or eight years ago to about this time of the year it was springtime and I was living um, by the sea in the southwest of England and it was a very magical time where at the beginning of the year I would put my sailboat in the sea and um, Get for the first sail out to sea and i remember going out one day with my daughter and it was quite early and i was still a bit chilly but i did all the right things you know the boat was ready and i checked the weather forecast and the weather forecast was was fine and uh, we had every the equipment and we set out to sea and we sailed out to sea and um, uh, my daughter and i she was a teenager at the time and um we were probably about i'm going to say about seven eight nine ten miles along the coast when all of a sudden on the horizon, unforecast was something of a squall, but a bit worse than a squall, because a squall tends to go through quite quickly. It was more like a storm. Not a storm in the in the navigational sense, but like some pretty heavy weather. And my boat was not a big boat. It wasn't actually meant to be out at sea in that kind of weather. It was an open boat, sixteen foot. And it was quite early in the season, there weren't many people out. And um it was pretty scary if i'm honest and completely unexpected and um as we saw it coming towards us we managed to get the sails down we managed to get the engine started which thank goodness we've got serviced um and we um with a good deal of fear and um and doing the best we can we set sail back to port which was about six seven eight nine ten hours so it was about an hour of being out in this really quite um Difficult weather and weather that the boat was not actually really designed for. And I'm glad to say we made it uh, very, very cold um, and a little bit shaken up, but but we made it. And the reason I'm telling that story is because um, some of you on this call, I know a number of people on this call, got Christmas cards from me. And um, I remember writing my Christmas cards. um, It feels to me like 2020. I don't know why I said this. It's going to be a good year. I've got a good feeling about this year. It's going to be an auspicious year. It's something about the two twenties together. I don't know what it was. The end of Brexit. I don't know. Um, But I guess the year has had some other ideas about what it's going to throw at all of us. Um, And a bit like the day sailing, we've gone from what felt like our normal lives, and I know everybody started this year in a different circumstance, but we are now all confronted with some quite extraordinary circumstances and by something that's happening in the world which is larger than any one of us. What got Zoe and I home safely that day was probably our previous experience, keeping a steady head and not a small dose of Good luck. And this pandemic I think has some parallels. It's been a bit like an unexpected at least to everyday folks, not to public health experts or epidemiologists or people who know about vaccines and disease, but to the rest of us, to most people, it has been like a storm that has spread right throughout, throughout the world and has not spared anybody in that journey. Now, often we look at storms and we have a sense of watching them on the news unfolding But it's in a different part of the world, and I think the difference here is this is something that has affected all of us, exposing our strengths and vulnerabilities at the level of individuals, families, communities, and countries. I don't mind sharing with you that um, the end of last winter I had pneumonia, and um, it was the National Health Service in the UK that saved my life. I think without very quick diagnosis and antibiotics I, I really don't think i would have made it um and i feel a bit the same now if i succumb to it. So i'm really quite scared at an individual level a bit like being out at sea that day that we may not uh, i may not make it and i'm seeing also the same thing at the level of families and communities and even countries the ways in which people's strengths and vulnerabilities are being exposed for good and for worse there was that gentleman who raised millions of pounds by walking around his house, um, a retired veteran, um, uh, okay. strengths and vulnerabilities. So the questions I think probably we all have at some level is how do we make sense of what's happening? How do we navigate our way from where we are now into the next part of our lives? And the life beyond this pandemic, which I think um, in some parts of the world, people are already beginning to very actively think about, but certainly here in the UK and in parts of Europe, people are beginning to think in that way. So just before I go into the first, there's really three themes I want to explore this evening. Before I go into the first, I want to just um, make a comment, which I think is um, sort of observation, if you like, about something um, good that I have seen happen so far adversity can be a real stress test you know if you have a heart condition one of the things the doctors will do is they'll put you on a treadmill and they'll see how the heart responds to that stress one of the things i've noticed which i think has been really heartening is the way in which medicine science high quality journalism have all come back into the mainstream (laughs) as things that we look to for solutions to the problems that we are all facing, all disciplines that I think really are finding their place in the world again. And I'd like to suggest to you that actually ancient wisdom, the understandings and practices that are present in a number of the contemplative traditions, combined with modern psychology, too, have a lot to teach us about how to make sense of and navigate our way through this COVID-19 storm. So that's by way of preamble. And what I'd like to do now is to um, pick up three themes and let um, uh, some mindfulness practices be the teachers here, if you like. The first theme I'd like to pick up is um, a theme of paying attention. Paying attention on purpose and in a very particular way. When Zoe and I saw that storm coming towards us, the instinct was to panic. (laughs) The instinct was to think, what are we doing out here (laughs) in what's about to be not very nice circumstances? But somehow we managed to harness our attention and focus on what we needed to do. And I think the same is true here. William James, one of the first psychologists, said, without selective attention, without selective interest, our experience can be utter chaos. I don't know about other people, but that has been my experience at times through the last weeks as well. But attention can support us with this. So, what I'd like to ask everybody to do, if it's okay, is to um, take up a posture that just gives you a sense of uprightness and dignity, where you can feel a sense of your feet firmly planted on the ground a sense of standing or sitting with wakefulness and dignity so let's just let your body give you that kind of cue what does it look like for the body to be awake what does it look like for the body to feel dignified I'm making some changes to your postures that we'd like to what you'd like to do What I'd like to ask you to do now is to, somewhere in your body, choose a place to anchor your attention. It doesn't really matter where that is. If you're an experienced meditator, just choose somewhere which you know is a good anchor for you. If you're new to this, I'd like to suggest maybe your feet, your hands, or maybe your belly. If you're really new to this, either um, the contact points between your hands or maybe put your hand on your belly and feel the movement of your belly what you're doing here, what we're all doing here, is we're taking our attention and very deliberately, on purpose, anchoring it in the body. Very simple invitation, if you like, to move into and right up close to The physicality of the sensations in the body in the anchor. In this moment, might be a sense of pressure, or the movement of the breath, maybe temperature, or the breeze, the, 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 um, the move of the breeze across the hands or the feet. Such a simple invitation, but what you're doing is you're taking your attention very deliberately and you're choosing to shine it like a flashlight, like a torch beam on this part of the body. Letting everything I've just been saying or anything else that's going on just drop into the background. Choosing to bring into the foreground this anchor point in the body. Such a simple invitation. But such a powerful thing to do, to take control of on purpose. Qualities of curiosity and friendliness and care, with the torch being the flashlight of your attention. What I'd like to ask you to do now is take your attention and scan back through the course of today and alight on, settle on something for which you have a sense of appreciation. Perhaps a sense of gratitude. A kindness perhaps that someone showed you, or something that you saw on social media that amused you, or just something for which or a walk in nature, or whatever it whatever it is, just a sense of appreciation or gratitude. Bring that to mind. Recreate that moment in mind and body. Just see how that's experienced in the body. there some resonances somewhere in the face or in the chest or in the belly what happens with the shoulders and the neck as you bring this moment of appreciation or gratitude to mind now choosing maybe a moment of difficulty, something minor, not something major. A moment from the day where maybe you felt a sense of impatience or irritability, maybe boredom. Nothing major, maybe just a small instance from the day. Bring this to mind. And again, see what the resonance of this is in the body, the shoulders, the face. Bringing a quality of curiosity and interest. And now too, letting go of this. Just coming back to that anchor place in the body, wherever that was, letting the moment of appreciation, the moment of difficulty fall into the background, and choosing on purpose, with a sense of I don't know, a sense of gentle discipline to foreground the, uh, the anchor. Either right, the breath, the hands, the feet, it doesn't matter where in the body it is, in your awareness. And just as we bring this practice to a close, I to just to ask a question as we bring the practice to a close. Those of you who've got a mindfulness practice or are developing a mindfulness practice, When you find yourself in difficult circumstances, when you find yourself maybe feeling agitated or stressed, what for you serves as a good anchor in the body? What is a reliable place you know that you can bring your attention to? Let's take a moment to think about that. Maybe just scan through a few times where you remember maybe having done that place of steadying, anchoring in the midst of a challenging situation. I see people have started to use the chat um, spontaneously. Please feel free to do that. So maybe just write into the chat what for you, and there's no pressure to do this um, if you don't want to. breath hands the feet the chest so here's an interesting one sounds um, so sometimes it needs to be something outside of the body soles of my feet sense of the whole body being here breathing into my thoughts somebody's written thank you. So the first theme there is this idea that in, one of the things that we know from contemplative traditions and from psychology is that attention is this incredibly foundational skill. And it's a foundational skill that we can through mindfulness practices train. It enables us to do a number of things. It enables us in any moment to know, and this can be so empowering, to know that we can choose to pay attention. Yes, sometimes our attention is hijacked. Sometimes we have days where we're all over the place, but that choice potentially is always there. The second part of this is that once we learn that, we begin to learn that actually where we choose to pay our attention, pay our attention is really important and really key. For people who have been through some of the mindfulness trainings that um, are offered around the world, one of the things that people say is that this ability to begin to deliberately pay attention to things that are um, things that we appreciate can really begin to reshape our implicit biases, um, the shape of our mind, the landscape of our day, This again is a very profound lesson. We can actually choose what we pay attention to in the whole landscape of our experience. Of course, there are things that we have to pay attention to and there are times where our attention is hijacked, but these are things that we can potentially begin to learn in terms of where we choose to orient our attention. And the final thing, which I guess is also, A lifelong lesson, I think, is this idea of um, using our attention to anchor ourselves in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I think this is a lifelong lesson of how we can begin to choose different types of anchors for different types of circumstances. So the second theme I want to turn to is a theme of steadiness and balance in the midst of difficulty so when um, zoe and i were out in our boat um, the boat really wasn't built for the size of the waves and we had to get the sails down and we had to think very carefully about where we placed um, our weight in the boat so the boat had the maximum amount of stability and the least chance of being um, swamped by a wave And I think in the same way, we can potentially learn how we too can learn to remain steady in the midst of difficult circumstances. I do want to make a quick sidebar of a comment, which I think is a really important comment, um, which is that in those circumstances, our boat was just on the edge of being able to cope. If we had been in a dinghy, a very small dinghy, there is no doubt we would have been wiped out. If we'd been in a large um, container ship, we would barely have noticed the um, the weather. (laughs) The ship would have quite effortlessly been able to handle that weather. And I think the sidebar, which I think is significant, is that in the midst of this pandemic, the same is true. There are some people for whom um, they are living in circumstances where this is just incredibly difficult and there are others for whom it is, um, they are resourced and they have um, privilege and opportunity that makes it more um, possible to navigate their way through this. So I think that's an important um, comment I want to, to make. So there isn't this sense that actually, uh, there is a sense of total responsibility because actually even on the cusp with our boat, a large enough wave would have swamped us. So this next practice is a practice that's actually inspired a little bit by um, uh, an experience I had on Saturday afternoon. Um, I've been finding um, a number of things quite sustaining in this pandemic and one of them is um, getting outdoors and um, swimming in the wild. And I went for a swim in the Thames on Saturday afternoon and I went swimming at somewhere called Clifton Hamden, which is um, a village outside Oxford and there's a churchyard Um, and I thought I'd just get changed in this churchyard and um, there was the most magnificent tree in this churchyard, the most magnificent tree and it turns out it's a yew tree Um, and I've been doing a bit of research into yew trees since then and it's quite possible that that tree is at least 250 years old And I was looking at it and thinking, this tree is just extraordinary. So what I'd like to do is lead us in a tree practice. And what I'd like to do is, um, again, ask us all to take a a posture. But this time, the posture actually is one where I would invite you to have a sense of yourself a bit like a tree. And I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. But just for a moment, just taking, making the shift from kind of listening, um, receptive, more conceptual mode to coming back into the body again or more wholeheartedly or wholemindedly coming into the body. Maybe just scanning through the body and seeing what's around in the head, and the neck, the torso, pelvis, the legs, the feet. What I'd like to invite you to do is to bring to mind a tree that you can either, you either know, you can visualize it, and I think a tree that um, maybe it's slightly um, older or more substantial tree, that is a tree that maybe has seen a few seasons. You have a sense that this is a tree that actually could withstand some weather. So for me, it's that yew tree, that ancient old yew tree in the um, the churchyard. And if no particular tree comes to mind, it's fine just to make one up in imagination. But a tree that has a sense of stature, a sense of strength, So you have a tree in mind. This is not so much an exercise in imagination, it's more an, a, an exercise, if you like, of um, embodiment. And what I mean by that is a sense of self becoming that tree. So your feet, your ankles, Your legs are like the roots of the tree. Rooted in the earth. Spreading out wide, spreading deep, depending on the tree, depending on the the landscape. That's a verb, isn't it? Rooted. Meaning really strongly anchored strongly connected so having a sense of yourself through the bottom part of your body being rooted in the earth Your pelvis and your torso being like the trunk of the tree. Your hands and your arms like the branches of the tree. your head and the crown of your head being like the very top of the tree, the whole of your body having the sense of being like a tree rooted, standing strong, steady, in the midst of whatever's happening right now. So maybe just tuning in to what's happening right now in terms of your thoughts, feelings, body sensations, impulses. So these all become a little like, little like weather patterns. So here you are like a tree. Whatever's going on in the mind and the body, it's like the prevailing weather. The tree doesn't have a battle. It doesn't have a conflict with the weather. It's just here, recognizing, present to, naturally adapting to, the prevailing conditions. So here we're sitting, whatever the prevailing conditions of mind states, body states are. The tree unflappable, yielding a bit, bending a bit, but fundamentally steady to the prevailing weather. the thing about trees, of course, is here we are in Oxford right now, and it's um, some of us in Oxford and uh, around the world. But right now in Oxford, it's just coming up to the end of the day. So it's going to go from day to night in the next hour. This particular tree can hear all the birds just beginning to settle in the trees, ready for the night the tree will still be here tomorrow when the day breaks and the dawn chorus of the birds and the, whatever the prevailing weather of tomorrow brings and of course the thing about trees at least in this part of the world is we have four seasons. We're just in spring now and transition into summer and due course and autumn and winter. And the tree too. We'll recognize, accommodate, and flow with those four different seasons. The reason that yew tree made such an impression on me is because in my crazy imagination I thought, my goodness, is not it possibly even old enough that it was around at the time of the London Plague? Has it seen, it's certainly seen the Spanish flu, it's seen two world wars, and again, the tree has this sense of stability and weathering, night and day, seasons, and all the different things that happen throughout the course of years. So sitting here as a tree, with this sort of tree-like quality, rather let me put it that way, just having a sense of all the things that ever happened for us in these last weeks and months. Everybody's journey will be different. Yes, the pandemic, the storm has affected everyone. But we've all been affected in our own particular way and with this tree-like quality just bringing to mind and body some of the weather systems that have passed through for you. See if you can hold them with this tree-like quality of ah, there's fear. So I said for you we've said before, for me the fear of if I get this. Will I be one of those guys in the ICU, or if somebody I love gets this, will they be that person in the ICU that I can't say goodbye to, or moments of beauty and joy, connection, boredom and impatience, the myriad different experiences, that have been the weather patterns moving through. See if with this tree-like quality, you can recognize them, allow them, some of the more extreme ones, maybe there's quite a bit of bending, even some broken branches that are involved. That the roots remain strong, the trunk remains steady. I'd like to drop a practice, uh, sorry, a, a poem into this practice. To see if you can a bit like the tree with a weather system just receive this poem and see what reverberations there are for you and in, in your experience it's from um it's from wendell berry it's called go among trees and sit still i can go among trees and sit still all my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water my tasks lie in their places where i left them asleep like cattle then what i'm afraid of comes i live for a while in its sight what i fear in it leaves it and the fear of it leaves me it sings and i hear its song just read it one more time. I go among trees and sit still All my stirring becomes quiet Around me like circles on water My tasks lie in their places where I left them Asleep like cattle Then what I'm afraid of comes I live for a while in its sight What I fear in it leaves it And the fear of it leaves me It sings and I hear its song. Just before we um, bring this particular practice to a close, I want to again just drop a question into the practice for you. That yew tree, in fact, while I was there, the the gardener came, needs some care. It needs some looking after for it to have got from where it was, First, seeded to where it is now, it's had quite a bit of sunlight, trimming, it's needed a particular kind of soil. My question to you now is the sense of steadiness and balance in the midst of changing circumstances, sometimes quite difficult circumstances. What resources you? What supports you to remain balanced? To remain steady. Now, of course, this is not always possible. We always um, can lose our balance and be unsteady. But what resources you? What supports your sense of steadiness and balance? And again, just inviting you, and only if you'd like to, to use the chat function on the call to maybe put some of those. Um, ideas in of what resources you to remain balanced and steady. I love it. Knitting, running, friends, walks in the countryside, music, yoga, my mindfulness practice, stroking my cat, creativity, Poetry, ah yes. Painting. My children, nature, gratitude, (laughs) laughter. Exercise in various forms is coming up. Seedlings, gardening, being outside. Oh, peanut butter, yes. Peanut butter and toast, sorry to be precise. Bird's song, thank you. What we might do is, I'm not sure, what we might do is just turn some of these chats into word clouds tomorrow and put them out on um, our social media if people would like to see them. I think they might be quite fun to see on word clouds. So I've talked about paying attention on purpose with these qualities of interest and um, kindness and care and I've talked about cultivating a sense of um, receptivity and strength and balance with this idea of um, a tree, which Zoe and I did by kind of placing our balance in the boat and um, taking care of the boat on the trip back to to harbour. And the final thing I want to speak about is this idea of um, imagining and creating the future beyond this pandemic. So, for Zoe and I, this was um, the visibility wasn't completely impaired. So, we could see the shoreline and we could see where we were trying to get to. But, of course, if the visibility had been impaired, we had a compass and we would have had to use that to get back um, to shore. And I guess for us now, our values, our sense of direction, our, our um, compass, our way of moving towards well beyond this pandemic. And the reason I, I want to stress this is because there was a, um, a Royal Society um, commissioned um, YouGov poll recently and the fi- some of the findings were really very striking. Um, and two of them I just want to highlight um, was people were asked about um, how they felt about what was happening and what they hoped for in the future. 54% of people polled said that they wanted to make changes to their lives and they hoped the country, and in this case, the UK would make changes too. But this is a statistic that really kind of really got me. Only 9% of people wanted to return to normal after lockdown ends, which kind of begs the question of what is normal and what does that um, look like? And I want to just read out a quote from a sort of an activist and a teacher um, called Sonia Renee Taylor. Here's what she writes. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalised greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, hoarding, and lack. Recognize some of those things in your lives, I do in mine. We should not long to return, my friend, she writes. We're being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. It's very interesting because there's a lot of surveys at the moment about people's well-being and mental health and what matters to them. And it's a very mixed picture. Instead of everybody being in um, a state of anxiety, for example, there are some subgroups for whom actually they're doing quite well. And they're doing better than they did before. And there are, of course, some um, who are living in circumstances of domestic violence, for example, who are doing really very badly indeed. How do we create, I don't even know what this means, a new normal? If people don't want to go back to, if only 9% of people want to go back to the normal that they had before, what does that look like to go to a new normal? The kind of life that people would aspire to. So I'd like to just drop a question into the space and see what people do with this question. If you imagine, and this question is about, um, sorry, before I articulate the question, this question is uh, I think at a number of different levels. Um, It's a a question for us as individuals, as individual human beings, um, and our own experience, our own way of, living our lives. But it's also a question for us in relation to our immediate circle, whether that's friends, whether that's family, whether that's our local community. And then I think it's also a question at a larger level in terms of the wider world. There are parts of the world where right now people are able to see into the distance in ways that they have, because of pollution, never been able to see before. I went for a a walk with um, my other daughter around Oxford the other night, didn't see a single human being. We saw two badgers (laughs) right outside the Pitt River Museum. Um, A deer, a fox, the wildlife is having the birdsong, I think it's true to say, is louder than I've ever heard it. There's a resurgence of nature just now. So the level of us as individuals, the level of us as Family and community, but also at a larger level of climate and the wider world. Here's the question What's really important to me in my life? What gives me a sense of purpose, a sense of value, a sense of meaning? What's really important to me in life? What gives me a sense of purpose? and value and meaning. And if you find your mind writing an essay just now, just let the essay go and just see if something more simple in terms of a felt sense or a word or a phrase bubbles up. So it's coming from a place of kind of wisdom, if you like, rather than a sort of more intellectual thought through space. Rumi talks about two types of intelligence, the kind of more traditional one that we develop through schooling, but also the sense of a fountainhead of wisdom. Great, love it. People are beginning to put into the chat. Truth, family, growth, connection, connection with friends, listen to my voices, a lot of connection, family security, integrity, space. Kindness, love, helping others to heal, service, compassion, fairness, boundless presence. I think we will make some word clouds tomorrow. I think they'll be quite beautiful, looking after nature, living authentic- living authentically. calm, being ourselves, being yourself, sincerity, sharing, freedom, nature. Thank you. The slower pace of life. Christina Feldman, with whom I wrote the book that um, Susan shouted out at the beginning, talks about busyness being heart-killing, quiet, respecting other people, gratitude so here's a thought experiment if everybody in the world was living by this compass this set of values would we create that world that is the kind of new normal that people seem to be pointing to and I'd like to suggest given the 450 odd people on this call from all over the world and I know there are people on this call I've I've just looked through the screen there are people working in prisons in schools in Parliament um who are looking after families um, the kind of circles of influence potentially are extraordinary so just as zoe and i followed the landline and made our way safely back to port that day i guess the invitation for us and as we kind of imagine life beyond this pandemic um and i'd like to just draw on two sources one is sort of ancient wisdom um, and this is a quote from um, the buddha it's in the dhammapada i think what we incline the mind towards is what the mind becomes so a mind that is um, inclined towards that is trained in these qualities that are coming up in the chat just now is a mind that will become that and One's words and one's behavior will come from that as well. The amazing psychologist, um, there are many amazing contemporary psychologists, but the one I want to just finish with um, this evening is Walter Mischel, who uh, famously developed the uh, the marshmallow um, uh, experiment. But He spent his whole life um, working working on um, this idea of um, if-then conditionalities. If we want this, then our behavior needs to be that. And then if then we'll have that conditionality. So on that note, I'd like to um, just draw the um, the evening to a close and thank everybody for your kind attention and wish you well um, in the coming days and weeks. Um, And I'll just hand back to Susan because I think there are a few closing words that she wants to say. Thank you all for your kind attention and the privilege of spending this last hour with you.